Well, guys, I had a fun conversation. Hey, come on in. I had a fun conversation uh, yesterday with a neighbor. We have um, we've befriended some people in the neighborhood. Who um, she brings her little one here to Rainbow, and her daughter is in first grade at the same school where Pete goes. And a few weeks ago, uh, I found out that she happened to be a big Star Wars fan. And so we started talking about Star Wars, and I told her that I and another minister friend and a fairly new Christian that, uh, that he knows, the three of us have a Star Wars and Bible podcast. Now, this is not, I'm not telling you this just to hype my own stuff, although we do have merchandise. For, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, we, um, we, have, uh, we have this podcast where basically we'll take something, something from the Bible or something from Star Wars, and we'll kind of draw some connections to see oh, how are these things similar, how are these things different. And so we were there at our friend's you know, first grader's birthday party yesterday, and the mom was telling me that she's not very religious, she doesn't know very much about Christianity, but she said that she's about two and a half episodes into our Star Wars and Theology podcast, and she is hooked. She loves all the neat connections and everything that we're making, and she's learning a lot about Christianity. And that's kind of cool. And I, you know, like, I didn't think... I'd, I, I didn't even plan on getting involved in a Star Wars and theology podcast. I was starting my own, and I just told a friend of mine who I knew was a big Star Wars fan. I was like, "Hey, it'd be fun if we uh, if we did a uh, an episode one time." And then he took that idea and ran with it. And like a w- few weeks later, came back to me. He's like, "Okay, I've got a guy from church, and he and I are ready to do this. And and we're just going to launch this thing. And we've already got you know like a logo and a theme music and everything." It's like. Oh, that's not what I signed up for, but <laughs> but I have really been enjoying it. And uh, whenever Linnea and I watch, you know, some of these things that you'll see available on Disney Plus. I mean, you you everybody here has probably heard of Baby Yoda, right? Okay, all right, yeah, it's technically not his name, but anyway, that's it's popular. So let me ask: Is anybody here a fan of Star Wars? Show of hands. Okay, a few of us, all right, good. All right, let's talk about the world of Star Wars. What is it like? What is that world like? How would you compare it a little bit differently from ours? Galaxies, yeah, all over the place, yeah. It feels kind of silly to say, what is that world like? Right, yeah, the world of Star Wars. And when it's worlds, dozens, hundreds, yeah. Keely, you were going to say something? Kind of sci-fi. Also, it has sci-fi elements, right? Um, also, some space fantasy, which is slightly different. And I'm not going to nerd us out too much and get into the differences of why Star Wars and Star Trek are inherently different. <laughs> but, yeah, what, am I, what else? What's one of the like, most obvious differences in the world of Star Wars from like, the Force? Yes, the Force. And there are some, when you first see it, did anybody here get to see the original Star Wars when it came out in theaters back in the 70s? Is anybody willing to date themselves? <laughs> Nobody's willing to date themselves. Okay, we'll just assume that there were... <laughs> I didn't want to name names. I appreciate you guys. Yeah, didn't want to name names. But um, <clears throat> there, when you like that very first movie, right, and you get to see this like kind of grizzled 
Alec Guinness and this you know, cool, laid back kind of, uh, I'm too cool for school, you know, Harrison Ford play, Han Solo. We see two kind of competing worldviews with Han Solo and then, uh, then Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan, now there's a name. Okay, sorry, I'm, I'm not gonna start quoting <laughs> all this. And then in the next movie, we see some other competing worldviews with Yoda. Right, how many of you recognize this quote? Han Solo there. They're in the middle of the, they're in the Millennium Falcon. And Han Solo says to Luke Skywalker, Kid, I've flown from one side of this galaxy to the other, and I've seen a lot of strange stuff. But I've never seen anything to make me believe there's one all-powerful force controlling everything. There's no mystical energy field that controls my destiny. It's all a lot of simple tricks and nonsense. That is a worldview. Han Solo has a view of the world. When I say world, right, I mean reality, existence. He has a view of how things are that, uh, based on his experience, he just doesn't really think there's any, any business for believing in the Force. But Obi-Wan has something else to say about that earlier in the movie, actually. He says the Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field that you know, that it's created by all living things, it surrounds us, penetrates us, it binds the galaxy together. Yoda has something similar to say in uh, Empire Strikes Back. I won't do my Yoda impression. Please. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't tempt me. Because <clears throat> um, I got please do and thank you. <laughs> so, but Yoda says, you know, life creates it, makes it grow, it, you know, its energy surrounds us and binds us. Luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. That's an interesting line. All right, those are competing worldviews. Yeah, we kind of see that true in Star Wars, but that's definitely true today, right? What are some main competing worldviews in our world today? You have atheism versus just theism in general. Religion versus the secular. Yeah, agnosticism kind of tr tries to have the best of both worlds, and they usually fail. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so like a, so like what we would, you know, I think everybody in here would say, yes, there are things that are absolutely true, and you know, some of the most extreme you know, postmodernists would say, well, there's nothing that's true. Of course, then the question becomes. Is that true? <laughs> if there's nothing that's ever true, yeah, anyway. There's also, I mean, like there's religion versus religion, right? Christianity has a certain view of the world that, uh, that really came to a head for a lot of people in the Western world about 20 years ago on September 11th, where we suddenly realized, oh, some Muslims have a very different view of the world and are willing to act on that in ways that are surprising and frankly murderous. Yeah. Um, we, uh, Jamie, you mentioned uh, religion, or, like atheist versus a theist view, um, and I kind of termed that religious versus secular. I used to think that religion versus secular was generally the case, but I'm I'm not I, I'm not so sure that I'm not so sure that there can ever be a truly secular. World view. Now, when I say secular, what do I mean by secular? Non it's kind of non-religious. What? Like I just, yeah, generally sort of just, 
Yeah, people are out there. Yeah, but especially non-religious, right? Like it's attitudes or activities. Well, yeah. I, think, I was thinking secular, just you know, there's not this book. This it can't be taught in school or something like that. Usually, people focus more on secular knowledge. Yeah. Yeah, it's very different from you know from anything that would have anything to do with religion. You could take secular, and maybe another another opposite of the word secular would be something like sacred. Right, Christianity believes very much in the sacred. Secular world, uh, at least you know it, things that don't really have a religious or or maybe even a spiritual basis. Yeah. Now we'll get back to why, at a practical level, I don't think a truly secular worldview. Holds up. I, 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 when I know people say that they are secular and they hold a secular worldview, I, I don't think they actually mean that the way that they mean that. And I'll get back to that in just a little bit. All right, the Christian worldview. How does the Bible, according to the Bible, what, what is our world like? What kinds of things do we expect to find in our world? What is the state of the world, according to the Bible, we think? What's that? Cursed by sin. Thank you for using the word curse. Yes, that is the biblical term. Yeah. Under the dominion of man. It is, uh, the world is under the dominion of man. Flesh it out for, a little bit, uh, for us a little bit, Jamie. What, uh, what do you mean by that? Very much so. Yeah. It's yeah. Yeah. So creation is so there, there is creation, right? And it's physical, right? There's you know there's stuff, there's people, animals, things, right? But there's also a spiritual component to creation. Okay. So uh, easy question, right? This is not a trick question. According to the Bible, how did the world get here? Okay, <laughs> yes. This is one of those times where the, the child Sunday school answer, God made it. That's perfectly, perfectly appropriate. Yeah. God created the world. Okay, now, was the world originally good or bad? Originally. It was good. Yeah. He said it seven times. Is anyone surprised it was seven times? And the seventh time it was very good? Right, okay, yeah. So we, yeah, we know the Bible well enough to know to expect numbers like that. Um, Jamie has anticipated my next question. Why did God create humans? Well, the idea is to rule with God over creation. I mean, the fact that he talks about, you know, have dominion or have authority. Uh, that's royal language. Like, you know, kings and rulers and queens in the ancient world, they would use, they would use those kinds of terms to describe their role in their area. Well, we humans were given that same role over the whole earth. That's pretty wild. Now, does the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2, right? Think about Genesis 1 and 2. Does the creation account in Genesis 1 and 2 mention angels or anything else like that? That's interesting. Have you been looking at my notes? <laughs> In Genesis 1 and 2, is there any explicit mention of angels or anything else like that? In those two chapters? No, there isn't. 
Their existence is implied, but their creation is not shown, or you could say maybe it's off screen, right? Let's turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And when I was putting together the idea for this whole class, I had no idea how often I was going to have us come out of Genesis chapter 1. But there's just so much good stuff in here. And since this is a class for people who are either new or beginning their Christian faith, maybe it's good to start at the beginning. Stella was, was correct. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Verse 26. Would somebody like to read that nice and loud for us, please? Chapter 1, verse 26. Thank you. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Very good. Will you, Abby, will you read again just the very first part of what God says there, just that first little phrase. Let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. Have y'all noticed that before? Let us, let us. Who is he talking to? I've always presumed it was the Trinity. Could be the Trinity. That would make sense. Yeah. Would ancient Israelite readers have understood this as the Trinity? Probably not. Probably not. Because, well, we definitely have God and the Holy Spirit, right? Verse 1. The Holy Spirit's hovering over the face of the waters. There's a lot of cool stuff about waters uh, in the ancient mindset being a place of like chaos and, and um, disorder. And so the Holy Spirit's hovering over that, bringing order and life and peace and beauty and goodness out of that. Oh, man, it's cool. It's really cool. But so we've got the Holy Spirit and we've got God. They show up in the first two verses. Jesus doesn't show up until quite a bit later. So chances are the earliest readers of this might not have thought, oh, this is the Trinity. They probably thought something along the lines of God. If God is a king, right? Well, every king has a has a council. Every king has a committee. They have a group around them. They probably thought this is a divine council. There are other spiritual beings that God would be talking to. Now, if you fast forward all the way to something like Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20, Paul takes uh, just a little bit of time there to talk about how you know, God, working with Jesus, created all things. And so a Christian view of Genesis 1 specifically verse 26, would include Jesus. But I think that, you know, at the bare minimum, it would also include maybe this council of other spiritual beings that whenever we see glimpses of heaven or like the throne or anything like that, especially in the book of Revelation, there's always other spiritual beings just around. It's, it's never just God by himself. There's always other people, other angels or spirits or something that, just, that they're there. I think a Christian view of that is, yes, Jesus is there. So I think Jesus is there. But I think the earliest Israelite readers, they probably wouldn't have thought, 
this must be God's son. They probably wouldn't have been aware that Jesus was there. They would have correctly been aware that there are other spirits around, other angels and folks like that. Yes, yes. And so, yes, he would be there. Right. That was one of those things. And again, God in his wisdom doesn't show all his cards at once. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think we can look back and see that it's there. But creation is spiritual. And so there's one spiritual being known as God, and there are other different kinds of spiritual beings. What are some of those other kinds of spiritual beings that we see in the Bible. Angels, yeah. The devil, right? Demons? The things with the wings. The things with the wings. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. There, there are, like if you actually begin kind of hunting through the Old Testament, it's more than just angels. And the occasional evil spirit, there's, there's an evil spirit that shows up, it torments King Saul. And when you fast forward into the New Testament, it's, you know, demons, evil spirits, those are all kind of the same things. They're everywhere in Jesus, in, in the Gospels. But we have, uh, we're called cherubim and seraphim. Yeah. yeah. And seraphim is more than just a salon, okay? Sorry, is that only a thing in Nashville? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, uh, sorry. I thought the, I thought it was like a chain or something. Apparently, it's just a local salon that my mom likes to go to. <laughs> okay. And then there's the monsters, right? In Daniel's visions, right? Book of Daniel, book of or the book of Revelation. Yeah. According to the Bible, this is an obvi- another obvious question. After the curse of sin, what is the current status of creation? broken who is lost who is currently ruling the world according to the bible i think that's right first john chapter 5 let's turn to first john chapter 5 verse 19 this is a surprising statement for us but for some of us but i think if we read between the lines here we can see what john is trying to do so 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. Um, <clears throat> this is a great passage here. And uh, this chapter 5, yeah, verse 19. He says that we know that we are from God. Another way to put that is that we know that we are God's children. We know that we are from God. God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. I think what John is trying to show us here is that until Christ returns, the world that we know is currently being ruled by the devil which would certainly explain a lot of things, right? We're essentially in enemy-occupied territory, and that's an apt metaphor for these days. Jamie, you look like you're about to say uh, something. I mean, it would make sense to have the sentiment of be in the world, but not of the world, if the world was under uh, 
ruled the devil. Yeah. God. When, yeah, when people say that, um, when Christians talk about somebody who's worldly, that's usually a bad thing, right? <laughs> the, the, the friend that I was talking about earlier, uh, the lady whose uh, kid's birthday party we were at, uh, the, she'd mentioned that um, she, she said that she didn't know that I was so worldly. And what she meant by that was, it's like, well, I've, I've traveled some, I've learned a lot of languages, you know, I'm familiar with other cultures. But when she said that, my first thought was, oh no, <laughs> I've been found out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, like what did I do? <laughs> yeah. No, but what she, she obviously meant something else besides that. But yeah, that, yeah, when we when Christians say worldly, that's rarely a good thing. Paul makes a similar statement about the state of the world in Ephesians chapter two. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter two. This is one of my it, Ephesians is just such a great book. Ephesians chapter two is a favorite uh, chapter of mine. So Paul makes a similar claim about the world, particularly about humans and how they relate to the world, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses uh, 1 through 3. And he says, As for you, again talking to his brothers and sisters in Christ who are in Ephesus, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's a very Jewish way of talking about the forces of evil. The spirit, so the second uh, part of verse 2, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature children of wrath. Yeah. That's kind of like, I know uh, earlier mentioned like who, who controls the world or who is the leader of the world and they mentioned Satan. But when I think of that, I think of the flesh and the flesh controls the world. Not necessarily, I wouldn't say Satan does roam freely down here. Yeah. But I would say it's the flesh. When I think of worldly, I think of flesh. You know? Yeah. And it goes along with uh, similar to the Romans, right? Do not be conformed to the ways of the world. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Transformed by renewing every mind. And I've always thought of, I mean, obviously the devil does control certain things and he is free to do what he wants. Very much so. I would say it's the flesh when we fall into the, fall into the flesh. Yeah. And that flesh, when Paul, especially when Paul uses that term flesh there, a lot of times, so he's, he's not saying that our bodies are bad, right? Like, you know, we were created with bodies. They're, they're good. But what he says, that, what he means there is that the flesh is the part of us that is not yet under the reign and rule of, of God, of God's spirit. And so he contrasts our flesh, life in the flesh versus life in the spirit. Yeah. She was a child of God. Yes. But what made her want to get that knowledge? Something, yeah. Was it was it within her, her flesh? Would it be That's a good question. To get more 
of life because she felt maybe she wasn't getting enough from God. Yeah. Those those are good questions, and the text simply does. (laughs) The text simply doesn't give us an obvious reason. I I have a son who has an extraordinary fear of missing out. Do any of y'all have or know people like that? Lene and I will be talking about something, and we'll hear Pete pipe up in the back. What'd you say? What are you talking about? What's going on? It's like, buddy, I'm talking about my checking account. Why do you need to know? <laughs> you know, so like, I, I can't help but wonder: is there some sense of like fear of missing out, or so? I don't know. Yeah, that is a good question. We just don't have enough time to dig in today. But Paul, take a look. So Ephesians two here. These, uh, yeah, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Um, <clears throat> Look just a little bit above that, and at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. Christ is seated. uh, Take a look at um, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 20. God has worked this incredible goodness for us in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. The right hand is important because it's a position of power, position of authority. Verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. These powers, principalities, rulers mentioned in these verses, according to how Paul was thinking at that time, these are spiritual forces. The evil spiritual forces that work to enslave humans to sin and death, basically. And so in the context of these verses, one of my professors has this to say, and I think he's right on here. Paul does not see sin as always directly inspired by demons, but he thinks that the world is pervaded with the devil's less direct influence. And so it may not always be Satan in your ear. Satan can't be everywhere at the same time and place. He's not omnipresent like God. So that's kind of comforting. But But the world is pervaded with the devil's less direct influence, including... Um, you know, some other things that he mentions. Uh, one is not delivered from this influence by their Israelite ancestry, but through faith in Jesus. And that was a thing that a lot of Paul's Jewish believers in Jesus had to wrestle with. They thought that they were in, they thought that they were saved because, well, of, of their ancestry, because of their family heritage. But that's not the case. Now, how does Jesus' ministry fit into all of this and help us get a better sense of the way of the world? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. So as you're turning there, I'm going to kind of review for us where we are. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 22. So according to a Christian view of the world, God created everything, and it was originally good. Sin entered through the temptations that we talked about just a second ago, and we have now a world that, by God's grace, 
endures pretty well despite the horrific curse of sin. The earth can still grow food. We can still live. Families can still exist. You know, by God's grace, those things can still happen, but it's significantly different, significantly scarred and corrupted and perverted from what it used to be. In addition to the physical world that we created, well, there's also spiritual beings, and there's all different kinds of spiritual beings. Some of those are in charge, still ruling. But then Jesus comes in, and Jesus starts doing something very different than what anybody else has done. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 22. <clears throat> uh, then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? Meaning, you know, the long-awaited ruler who is going to come and you know, basically reestablish Israel to her greatness. Jesus doesn't answer that question because he doesn't want them to have wrong expectations. Verse 24, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Now knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Jesus said that first, not Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> I think Abraham Lincoln was quoting Jesus. Verse 26, And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Look at verse 29. Who is the strong man in this verse? It's Satan. Jesus has entered into Satan's house and is binding him so he may plunder his goods, meaning he may recover what was once God's. Yeah. And so Jesus' ministry was to enter enemy-occupied territory and begin reclaiming creation, especially humans, for the kingdom of God. It's an invasion or a, a retakeover that what was once God's good, beautiful, peaceful, life-giving world was taken over and corrupted. And Jesus' ministry most, most clearly seen by him kicking out demons. One ancient way of talking about casting out demons was to say that you were binding them, meaning that you were kicking them out of a host and imprisoning them, awaiting for final judgment. And so that's why Jesus uses this term like, well, I've got to come in and bind the strong man. I've got to, I've got to rough up Satan, handcuff him and hog tie him in the corner, and then I can clear out his stuff because he's taken what was mine. And that is 
the Christian worldview. In a nutshell, as wild as it may seem, if you aren't a Christian, but everybody could look at, even somebody as rabid and atheist as Bill Maher, is that a name that anybody recognizes? Okay. Even he can talk about evil. He, discusses, he, he describes uh, China's human, abuses, human rights abuses as evil. And here's a guy who has no love for religion whatsoever, but he can still use a term like evil. And so Jesus' ministry, if, if you want to know the Christian worldview, I think one easy way where you can go to it is here in Matthew chapter 12. That what Jesus is inviting us into is very much you know, a, a, a takeover, an invasion. That you're entering enemy-occupied territory. And it just so happens that the weapons of this kingdom are unlike how the rest of the kingdoms of the world fight. And you can look to any number of places. Notably, Ephesians chapter 6 and the armor of God. Righteousness, hope, salvation, the gospel. That's pretty neat. But right over here, as we wrap up, I mentioned earlier about the secular worldview and how like, I, I don't think that really pans out. So according to a Christian worldview, nothing is purely, truly secular. According to a Christian worldview, we're being led by the Holy Spirit into either greater Christ-likeness or we're being influenced to varying degrees by evil spiritual forces. And it could just be the evil that sin itself has when it's rooted in your heart, the flesh leading us to those things. So claiming, like some secular people do, claiming to reject all religion leaves kind of a spiritual vacuum and I think ultimately leads the secular person leaves them at the whims of these evil spiritual influences. And so at a macro or geopolitical level, this tends to look like the replacement of worshiping God with worshiping the government or the state or the leader, like with the Soviet Union, or communist China, communist North Korea. If you look at the, the devotion that the hyper-nationalists have in each of those places, the devotion that they feel for their leader, oh, it's almost religious in quality. And you'd expect these guys to start singing hymns and songs, and they often do. They often do. So worship doesn't mean you have to go to a building once a week to sing to your favorite dictator. <laughs> devotion can take many forms, and unfortunately, they deceive us into giving our allegiance and our loyalty to something other than the kingdom of God. So, Christian worldview. There it is in a nutshell. And according to the Christian worldview, there's no such thing as a truly secular worldview, despite how much your most ardent atheists might try to argue with you. So, guys, I really appreciate y'all's time. We will see y'all next week for a really fun lesson where we're going to talk about